Borak Thong Earthlets. My name is Conrad alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 26th episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD and Star-Lord, October 1978, progs 86 through 88. This week, we start new stories in Judge Dredd and Flesh, and start two whole new thrills with Strontium Dog and Robusters. How you doing this week, Fox? Oh my god. I'm surprised that my brain is still uh, still actually able to function. Yeah, the words hearing... can come out of my mouth. Fox is nearing thrill power overload from these stories, everybody. <laughs> this may be the finest marriage of comic books I have seen in my time. Mm, high praise indeed. Oh my but god. Before everything uh but 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 because everything's starting this month, I thought we'd also make this a new listeners episode so now mm-hmm. people can start the sh- uh the show here and not have to deal with listening to us figuring out how microphones and show formats work. <laughs> <laughs> what? It's been perfect since the beginning. Okay. So before we dive into the thrills for this month, let's recap what the hell's going on here in the first place. So mm-hmm. If you're an American, uh, like me and Fox, it's really easy to have never heard of 2000 AD, even if you're, like, a huge nerd. Uh, Most people, (laughs) however, have heard of the two movies based on 2000 AD's most famous character. uh, That's uh, 1995's Judge Dredd, starring Sylvester Stallone, and 2012's Dredd, starring Carl Urban. Uh, I have been interested in the character of Judge Dredd since the first movie, and I started reading the old issues of 2000 AD when the more recent one came out, getting a subscription in late 2015. So I've read, like, maybe the first thousand um, issues, and then, and the, as well as the equivalent um, Judge Dredd magazine issues, and then everything since 2015. Fox, meanwhile, has just read what what we've covered on the show, because he's a newbie, and I appreciate his um, childlike naivete when it comes to these characters. (laughs) Burn. Wow. (laughs) But seriously, though, when I, um, I, at one point I was talking to Fox, you know, we were friends in real life, and I told him about, like, Judge Dredd and 2080 in general, and we decided to do this podcast to both read through the series and help people learn more about it, right? Mm. Yeah, and so far it's been actually pretty great. Yeah, man. So let's just, before we get started, I just want to sort of talk about what the basics are of this thing we call 2080. And what some of the terms and terminology that we use as we get into it. So, okay. 2000 AD. (laughs) It's a comic book, all right? Oh, no. What? This whole time? It It was founded by British comic book veterans in the year 1977 in the hope of taking advantage of a rise in interest in science fiction that would likely be caused by a series of tentpole movies being released later that year, probably most notably the original Star Wars movie. So awesome. Um, 2000 AD is a weekly anthology comic, which means that they t- that as opposed to sort of being about one guy, it's about a bunch of guys, or it's a bunch of different stories at once. It's kind of like a vignette um, series yeah. uh, each week. It's been in print since the last month of February 1977. It's still going strong today. Um, if my calculations are correct, then Prague uh, 2027 will be coming out the same week as this podcast. <laughs> Jeez. While it's hard to encapsulate even a year and eight months, the the year and eight months that we've been covering on the show, 
Um, it's even more so to get the entire 40 years of a comic book. But here are some essential things to keep in mind. Again, so each issue of 2080 is called a program or a prog for short. And each prog is usually about 30 pages long. So, you know, instead of saying like issue one, you'd say prog one, etc. Um, at this point... Yeah, so each, each prog's about 30 pages long. At this point, the comic's entirely in black and white, except for the covers and then maybe two pages in the middle of the comic book. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it's an anthology book, which means that instead of just one story that goes the whole issue, it has a bunch of stories, usually between four and six or so, and they're generally all different and not related to each other. We call each of these stories a thrill. Oh, yeah. Um, thrills are individual stories within 2000 AD. We organize our podcast around the thrill. So you'll hear all the Judge Dread stories all at once for a given month, as opposed to doing each issue and then doing each individual thrill within that issue. Uh, one last big thing to know is the character of Tharg. Um Oh man! Many anthology comics, especially in this era of, of 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 UK comics, had a presenter character that would sort of organize the material, write sort of opening editorials and tell you what's coming up this next month and things like that. For 2000 AD, it's the alien editor of 2000 AD, known as Tharg, a green-skinned, white mohawked alien with a red um, rotary phone dial on his forehead. <laughs> From the planet Beetlejuice, <laughs> or the Beetlejuice system, I guess. Hey, man, that is a sacred ornament, and you will treat it with respect. It's called the Rosette of Sirius, I'll have you know. <laughs> but it's also <laughs> definitely like uh, a dial for an old phone, which uh, I, feel like, I feel like a majority of people listening to this podcast might even know, not even know what I'm talking about when I refer to that, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um so Tharg's an alien who eats plastic cups. He'll t- he was the first one to tell you that he is mighty and awesome. Um in more recent things, Tharg's referred to in shorthand as a TMO, which stands for the Mighty One. Um Yeah, he's very humble when it comes to his uh to his titles. I mean, he is humble, but that's just because he's so great. <laughs> <laughs> He claims to be the editor of 2000 AD and that the skyscraper that the 2000 AD and the entire uh, IPC magazine's limited offices are based in is actually his spaceship in disguise. Um, Pretty good disguise. Yeah, in reality, you know, there's an actual human editor of 2000 AD that may or may not be an alien disguise. I don't know. At this point, the editor is uh, Kelvin Gosnell in our sort of timeline of the uh, mm. of, of 2000 AD. The current one in real life is a guy named Matt Smith, who is not the guy who played Doctor Who, but a guy with the same name as the guy who played Doctor I do not understand reference. I don't know what to tell you. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Uh, just so you know, sort of as a podcast note, as well as thrills, we cover what I like to call non-thrills, which are mm. non-story related things, mostly letter columns and editorials inside individual progs um, or like contests or other things like that. Also, as part of the podcast, we cover non-2000 AD prog content, which is mostly double-sized sci-fi, sci-fi special editions in the summer and then 2080 annuals in the fall. Then, at the end of each calendar year, we do an episode for the Spinnies, which is a uh, award show we do to wrap up the year. In theory, just for your record keeping, um, each year of 2000 AD will last 16 podcast episodes, but that actually won't be the case until at least 1980 because of 2000 AD <laughs> publication issues. 
there there are very real uh, mathematics going on right now during I this just, show. I'm just letting everybody know what what's what's going on. Of course. <laughs> um, I'll mention also if you like sort of what you're hearing and you want to read the newer stuff, uh, 2000 AD is like I said still available. They make the, both the regular 2000 AD progs and the Judge Dread focused uh, Judge Dread magazine. Uh, both are available through uh, Rebellions. Uh, website. They're the current owners of, of all the 2080 stuff. You can get physical subscriptions, which, if you're an American, are very expensive just because of um, just because of shipping costs and stuff. Mm-hmm. But you can get a digital subscription for a much more reasonable rate. They have an app, and you can download stuff um, online. They, and, they, and they don't have DRM and stuff. It's very nice. Um, mm-hmm. And otherwise, we'll sort of cover the progs as we get to them. I think. Oh, oh, oh one last thing. I'll just say it now. Um, if you want, if you'd like to contact our show, if you have any more questions about that stuff, you know, we'll answer them the best of our abilities. Or if I've said something wrong and you want <coughs> to yell at me, that's fine too, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty can, rude of you, but you know that's fine. I mean, you know, it's good to get things right. I'm sort of an amateur 2000 AD scholar, you know, I don't know the real stuff, whatever. Um, but you can contact the show at space spinner 2000. That's all those words written out in the number 2000 at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram by searching for space spinner 2000, or look for us on Twitter at space spinner two K, uh, contact us. I'll contact you back, man. If you follow me, I'll follow you more than likely. Anyhow, if you give me a hug in the street, I'll give you a hug back. Yeah, they don't know Let's how to find you, I don't think. Somewhere in the streets oh. of San Francisco, I suppose. <laughs> Roaming. I, I'm in your hearts. That's all you need to know. Hearts and minds of America. Super duper fair. <laughs> I'm super America's fair. darling. Ugh. But enough about that. Uh, let's quickly talk about uh, previous thrills that new listeners and uh, thrills and episodes that listeners might want to go back and check out. And then we'll get to oh, new best. stuff on the show. Yeah. So... Uh, first, I'd like to shout out um, two big Judge Dredd stories that we've talked about. I'll sort of explain Judge Dredd a little bit more when we get to him in the thrills this month. But mm. I, so far, we've covered two big uh, Judge Dredd epics. The first was the Robot Wars, where he fought uh, the evil robot forces of Call Me Kenneth. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. If you, you hate robots and Nazis, these have amazing marriage that then causes a lot of robot destruction. Well, we'll get into some of that in this month. In, in, in this month's progs too, but. Um, mm. You can find the uh, war against Call Me uh, the Robot War in Prague in uh, episodes two through four of the podcast, and then to find the Cursed Earth, the story of Dred's cross country road trip through the destroyed Americas from the East Coast to the West Coast to bring a vital vaccine to Mega City Two in California. Uh, check out episodes seventeen through twenty four, which is a lot. <laughs> uh, my second favorite, or. Another one I'd really like to recommend is Shacko, which is the story of a fugitive polar bear on the loose in the North Pole. Um, He's got a MacGuffin in his belly and the CIA is out to find him. But the actual (laughs) hero in this story is this murderous polar bear himself. I think we have a lot of fun sort of talking about the motives and whatever's of this uh, of this death bear. And I think it's good. (laughs) It's good listening and good storytelling. Uh, And you can find that in episodes five through ten. And finally, mm. a recent story we've just finished is Ant Wars, which is about, you know, giant ants uh, menacing South America. <laughs> and, 
<laughs> the attempts of various people to stop them, or more likely of just a uh, an army guy and a native guy uh, traveling around South America, warning people that ants are about to attack them, and those people ignoring them and then being eaten by ants. <laughs> so, so, and and cautionary tale, you know, I was never a big fan of giant ant movies. Um, this is amazing for a lot of different reasons. Give it a shot. Ant Wars is good as a giant ant story. It's also good as a commentary on colonialism. It's good times uh, in Ant Wars. And you can find it's that really great. in episode 21 through 24. Fox, what are some of your top thrills that, that you'd recommend for a new listener to check out? Oh man, buckle in, cats, because uh, the first thing that's coming at you is um, possibly the greatest marriage of a small boy's fantasies ever, which is cowboys and dinosaurs i'm talking about flesh so uh flesh takes place both in the incredibly far past and the super future there is a business known as uh the trans time corporation that in order to feed people's insatiable hunger for real meat and the fact that it is more and more scarce on planet earth in the future send cowboys into the distant past to wrangle and uh, round up and do some hooting and hollering yeah. with some dinosaurs. But what actually happens is people getting eaten by a lot of dinosaurs and cowboys trying to fix the problem or run away. <laughs> and then there's a huge siege as all the dinosaurs attack the base. It's super awesome. And you can find it's... flesh in, in episodes one through five. Oh, man. <laughs> Really suggest those. Um, as a good uh, second story suggestion, uh, there is, of course, the long-running Invasion series, which is about, hey, do you like Nazis? No? Do you, are you also a communist sympathizer? Absolutely not. But if both of those things were put together, they're the ultimate enemy. Communists. Thereby, yeah, we have Invasion, a, uh, a giant... Uh, unknown country known as the Volgan Empire uh, invades Europe and basically crushes it, including Britain in, I believe, what was called the Seven Hour War or the Something One Hour like War. That, yeah, but that's not yeah. the the conquest isn't important when it comes to invasion. Yes, that's correct. Eng- England is conquered, and then <laughs> and then the schlock begins. So if you really enjoy like 1980s terrible VHS tapes. You're going to love Bill Savage, a man armed with only me shotgun and uh, really just a determination to murder uh, every single story of his uh, just kind of culminates with him hilariously dispatching um, Volgans with either a shotgun or comedically timed uh, I don't know, things like, say, um, a flare gun that is also a rocket launcher that shoots a man off of a, uh, a ship, or perhaps stealing a giant tanker of danger acid and backing it into the wall of a facility only to flood it with that acid and kill everybody inside. One, one time he was fighting guys on a snowy mountain, and he killed two guys by stabbing them with ski poles. <laughs> oh god that's right and then fences yes um get, get you someone who laughs when they're with you the way bill savage laughs when he's killing Volgans. <laughs> oh my god yeah it, it's just it's incredibly impressive it's really fun it never gets boring it's uh it's one of those things that uh, like has been the sweetest of treasures for me uh reading this stuff and, and I'm check not a out huge uh Invasion goes from episode one to episode fifteen, and it's a mm. that's a mile a minute every episode. <laughs> it's really great, and so I for my final and third cap, 
this is a series that actually goes out in two phases. So when the comic first started, they picked up um, what's known as Dandare. And Dandare was okay, interesting art and things like that. But it takes a hiatus and then comes back for what I would consider a second season, which is amazing. They basically equip this man with a ragtag army of no-goodniks and soldiers and give him a really great ship with planet-destroying bombs and lots of guns (laughs) to basically send these guys into an uncharted sector where they've been having problems and saying, hey, Dandare, go solve all of our problems. And he does, mostly by committing genocide. (laughs) Or at least just wrecking up the place in general, you know? Yep. And uh, and it's pretty great. It's really entertaining. He's got a uh, sort of a a multicultural crew, uh, for for this era, uh, but at the same time, they're just as nuts and bloodthirsty as him. Yeah, so, you can find uh, the new version of Dan Dare in episodes 8 through 24 of our podcast. <laughs> really worth checking out. Yeah, man. All right, All right. But, but enough preamble, all right? Let's get the Regal Show started with... Hell yeah. Thrill One, Judge Dredd. Oh, man. So Okay, so Judge Dredd is a 21st century future shop... Future Cop um, combined two-thirds of the Stallone Judge Dredd with about one-third of the of the Carl Urban movie and then cook it with the Anthrax song for Judge Dredd. <laughs> Truth and justice are what he's fighting for. Judge Dredd the man, he is the law. Drock it. Dude. <laughs> oh, oh but, but maybe don't listen to that Anthrax song because it has spoilers for upcoming Judge Dredd episodes. <laughs> Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I will avoid. Um, so, yeah, you know, Judge Dredd, he honestly is looks looks and looks and more like the Stallone Judge Dredd. You know, his uniform doesn't make mm. a lot of sense, but he does never take his helmet off. Last month, we saw the end of the second great Dredd epic, The Cursed Earth, and now we're right back in it to take on the next one. In fact, they're celebrating uh, his return with a big old parade. Like, hey, thanks for saving all those people. Yeah, man. So we start, um, and all. So we start in Prague '86. Uh, all the uh, all the Judge Dredd stuff this this month is written by uh, John Wagner, who's using the pen name John Howard, and then the art's done by Brian Bolland and Dave Gibbons. So mm-hmm. the the year is 2100, and Judge Dredd is on trial for murder. <laughs> Yeah, but that's just a cold open as we now flash back to the celebration of Judge Dredd's work upon the Cursed Earth. Uh, everyone's really stoked, except for Judge Cal, who's the head of the SJS squad, which is basically uh, internal affairs for the judges. Yeah, but kind of run by a weirdly crooked dude. Well, You just get the sense kind of early on. Just because internal affairs judges the judges doesn't mean that they aren't crooked. Like any internal affairs division in a police department, I'm just saying. Um, Fair enough. But so in the middle of the parade, though, um, Judge Cal wants to talk to Dredd about like his expense reports and stuff. But Chief Judge Goodman is like, ah, whatever, Cal, lighten up and then sends Dredd home for the night. And he just passes the fuck out. Yeah, he basically bumbles past his Italian stereotype maid Maria and his lisping robot slave Walter and falls into bed. (laughs) (laughs) Where they just put the news on so that he can watch it when he wakes up, I guess. Mm -hmm. But then, as that happens, we next see Dredd barge into a newspaper office where he's angry that his return 
um, is basically in the paper under uh, an article about a film star marrying a gross alien. Which is and, crazy, because up until this point, he's not a man who seeks fame. Mm-hmm. But apparently now he is, because he shoots up the office and it's caught on film. <laughs> he kills, like, two people. Yeah. Dredd wakes up to find a, a trio of Judge, of Judge Cal's SAS judges arresting him. And despite Walter's alibi, Dredd looks really bad for this killing. The Council of Five, the rulers of the Justice Department, which are the, uh, the, the chief judge of Mega City One and the heads of the other main departments, vote unanimously to sentence Dredd to 20 years on the Titan penal colony. Also where brother er, uh, Judge Dredd's brother was from. Yeah, Rico. Yep. Uh, the chief judge Good Goodman doesn't want to, but apparently the vote to sentence Judge Dredd has to be unanimous. And so he ends up, and so Dredd ends up uh, being loaded up onto a spaceship and leaving orbit for Titan. I think this is really interesting just because sort of, I don't know, I've mentioned a couple of times, but this is actually literally part of the plot of the uh, Sylvester Stallone Judge Dredd movie. Yeah. Where he kill, where he's framed for killing a, um, a reporter and stuff. Mm. Though differently, as we'll see. <laughs> So, next frog, trained up, chained up in the prison ship, Dredd reflects on the horror that the horrors that were visited on his brother Rico while he was in prison on Titan. And his face got all gross. Yeah, they basically had to replace like his nose and a fair amount of his face with cybernetics to allow him to survive in the limited oxygen of the of the of the moon Titan. Dredd also realizes that he must have been framed for the murders. He hijacks the penal ship and crashes it back into Mega City One. Re-entering the city, he has nothing to declare except his innocence. <laughs> I also really like that the uh, when the plane crashes into that wall, it just says "boo" on the <laughs> like surprise. Yeah, exactly. And some random guy eating a eating dinner as the as the spaceship crashes at the wall is like, get the number of that shuttle. But that's not all right. Judge Dredd escapes off into the city, and and Judge Cal declares a citywide manhunt for Dredd as our buddy Judge Giant, um, who is the son of a character from another uh, 2080 thrill, mm. ob- observes that the chief judge has seemingly fallen to pieces following the sentencing of Judge Dredd. The SJS judges roust random people in the city, and they search Dredd's apartment, but he's in the wind. Well, what's nuts is, like, they're looking for him in different places, even women's purses. Yeah, just in case. Yeah. But Cal is Um, watching. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So so Judge Cal laments the the inability to find Dredd to his right-hand man, Quincy, in Cal's private quarters. Cal's place is pretty ridiculous. It's got a bunch of, like, posters and busts of himself including a 1984 one that says Cal is watching, and it's mm. got a uh, picture of Adolf Hitler. <laughs> Super yeah, subtle. Right yeah, this is, they, uh, this is, they like throwing him in. This is definitely two for two for Judge Dredd supervillains that um, openly express a fondness for Hitler. Which, I mean, all right. I mean, it makes you evil, man, obviously. <laughs> if, if someone says they're down with Hitler, that makes them a bad guy for reason. You know, it's not uh, like, I mean, like, why would that agree. be, you know? <laughs> well, this guy's uh, a big fan of genocide. Okay. But it's, a, <laughs> it's against humans, so it's it, it matters. Um, yeah, it does. Anyhow, uh, 
Cal says there's only he knows one judge good enough to catch Dredd, and that's Dredd himself, who seems to be sleeping in a drawer in Cal's office. Which what? Right. Which takes us to the final prog for this month, where Dredd fights Dredd. Oh. Uh, yeah, Cal uses the poor mental state of the chief judge to assert his own dominance. And meanwhile, pinstripe, pinstripe suit-wearing informant Max Norm- Normal gets braced by Dredd. And I he really tells him, love this character. Yeah, man, he, he's, he's a freak because he wears 20th century clothing, like around the, <laughs> the, the, the future. Um, but Normal points Dredd toward the location of a special robot maker, which Dredd investigates, and he finds the engineer dead, killed by an evil robot duplicate of Dredd. Oh, snap, he's right there. Yeah, the two of them fight, and things look bad. Until at the last minute, Robo Dread gets caught in a scrap magnet and dropped into an open furnace. Yeah, it's a only, really horrific scene. <laughs> yeah, only the uh, only the ro- only the robot head of Robo Dread is recovered, which Dread uses to prove his innocence. Mm-hmm. So now we know that the frame job was done by Judge Cal, but Dread doesn't know that, and now Cal has to go back to his dra- to his drawing board. Next next month, the day the law died. Well, Man, this Judge Cal stuff is super awesome. I love Judge Cal. He's so I, evil. Yeah, you were prepping me for this, and it's really setting this really cool tone. Also, Judge Dredd just can't get a fucking break. He just can't even get take like a day off. Like he's seriously just going from one super huge storyline to another super huge storyline. I think this one's gonna last another like fifty procs or something like that. Jesus. And it's and it's not that I don't that I'm not excited about that either. Like clearly there's some really good setup. They're flushing out some more of the characters, more of the city, uh, more of the feeling, but uh Oh my god, I'm excited for where this goes. Feel bad for old Joe a little bit. Hey, you know, he's okay. He knows what he's doing. I mean, all he needs is 20 minutes of sleep a day, so... Something. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, it's pretty much it. It's it's looking good. Three three um, progs this week, so, like... Yeah, we're a little short. Yeah, we're doing a little... I, you know, I just wanted to move it so that we'd have just all new beginnings this th- this episode, and I think it's going good. Oh, of course. Hey, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, so just not a lot happened, but, you know... I mean, there's a fair amount. Man, he was arrested, tried, sentenced, and then cleared his name, you know? That's <laughs> true. But, hey, speaking of new beginnings, Thrill 2, Robusters. Yeah, man, so Robusters. Dude, it's awesome. Yeah, man, Robusters are pretty good. So, this is the first time we're seeing the Robusters thrill in 2000 AD, but it's already had a pretty long run, like 20 issues or so in Star-Lord, which is another weekly sci-fi anthology comic that IPC Fleetway was running in 1978, um, but it's recently been shut down forever, and its two top properties, which are Robusters and Strontium Dog, have moved to 2000 AD starting this month. Mm. Uh, Ro- Robusters is primarily the story of the robots Rojaws and Hammerstein, a <laughs> decommissioned sewer and war robot, respectively. They're uh, they're a pretty great duo, man. Uh, one's yeah. mouthy and trashy, and the other one is uh, classy and murdery. That's right. Hammerstein's very serious and tells a lot of old war stories and has like a fair amount of weapons. He's got a gun in one arm and a big hammer in the other one, hence the name. <laughs> uh, Rojaws talks in a, co- in a cockney accent and constantly makes wisecracks and insults everybody. It's really wonderful. 
They all they now work for Howard Quartz, who's called Mr. Ten Percent because he's a human who's had ninety percent of his body replaced with robotics, and the <laughs> remaining ten percent is at the legal limit to still be considered a human. God. So he's basically a robot walking around with like a brain inside like a jar mm-hmm. on the top of his head, basically. And in the Star Lords, there's been a bunch of kind of, of pretty funny moments where he'll talk to sort of a regular, you know, just a regular human is like, oh, we humans have to stick together against these robots <laughs> or something like that. Like, yeah. he talks about it like he's still superhuman, like, or no, that he's still mostly human as opposed to being mostly robot. Yeah, well, what's interesting is, like, when we're introduced to this character, uh, it's him purchasing um, both robots, right? Yeah. And he's just like, I'll buy them at an extreme discount, basically, because no one's bought them. Yeah, basically what Howard Quartz does. And so Howard Quartz owns this company called Robusters. It's a... Uh, disaster recovery squad basically is he sort of buys a bunch of robots and then sends them into dangerous situations to help to uh, you know save people or do you know recovery or fire you know firefighting or other, other sort of relief work essentially and hey you know if they die they're just robots yeah if they die they're just robots that he's bought at, a, at an extremely discounted rate they often have like problems or long memories or something like that Mm. And um, he always charges people an exorbitant amount before he sends them in because he's not really a good guy. No. Um, he's a businessman. Yeah. As well as uh, um, otherwise, there's a, there's another key character called Mechquake. He is awesome. Yeah. He's a, uh, he's a bulldozer slash robot deconstruction robot, basically. <laughs> he's g- gigantic and specializes in destroying other robots. It's really wonderful. In terms of characterization, you won't go too wrong by just imagining him as a Beavis from Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> In terms of like his love of fire, his ability to be distracted by things that he thinks are cool, uh, love of violence, and you I believe definitely. he will get crazy if you feed him enough un- enough sugar. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. I like he. He has uh, like a couple of really great lines just in these next three progs that are great. But don't let me stop you from getting to the so, story. But like, yeah, I'm just saying that like literally in the introduction for the uh, first Ro- uh, Robusters collection, uh, Pat Mills, the author of these, um, sort of breaks down which actor sh- sh- should play which robot, and he says Beavis for um, Mechquake, and that's the only one he offers. It's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but so, but the Robusters also have a pretty sweet spaceship called the Praying Mantis, and um, you know they go in, they have adventures. They're usually pretty ridiculous. Like this is essentially a a a, a, a humor uh, sci-fi strip. Like it's mm-hmm. most of the stuff in here, especially regular Robusters stuff, is obviously designed to be funny and have sort of a humorous bent to things. Yeah, and there's a little bit of I think like. Um, some amount of moralization going on. Like, it's really obvious how people treat robots, even though they have feelings or the situations that they're sort of presented and put in are very real to life. But they still have this very large twinge of, like, humorous aspects to them, which I think is a really good way to kind of ease kids into these ideas. For sure. So let's get started, all right? All of the... um... All the Robusters are written by Pat Mills this month. The art robots, or the art, the artists are Dave Gibbons and Kevin O'Neill. Can't go so, wrong with this team right now. It's good, man. Uh, so, the year is 2080. 
And oh yeah, for the record, all the thrills in this um, month take place in the same universe. Mm-hmm. So just to give you an idea with Judge Dredd as our baseline, uh, Robusters is about 20 years before Judge Dredd. Strontium Dog, which we're going to get to later, takes place about 20 years after Judge Dredd. And the folks in Flesh come uh, about 100 years after Strontium Dog or so. Yeah. <laughs> um, so after a quick re- recap of, of what we've talked about with Roja, we see Roja uh, for our... A quick recap of the backstories of Rojas and Hammerstein. We dive back in. There's a big old train crash with a car buried in rubble, and the bots are sent to rescue the survivors. But, oh, snap, they get trapped in an avalanche. Yeah. Double avalanche. Yeah, they tunnel down to the car, but they won't be able to get back out. And the oxygen on the car is running out, and the problem is that they only came with nine air tanks. And there are 10 passengers aboard the train, so one of them will have to sacrifice themselves. Kind of a weird oversight, but all right. Well, I mean, you know, who knew? They didn't know how many they they were going to have. They were lucky to take any, you know? (laughs) That's fair enough. Everyone, so basically someone has to volunteer to die. Everyone has an excuse to not do so. There's a priest. There's a couple with a sheep herd. There's like some sort of lord dude. And it's like, there's only so much blue blood left, sir. And like... (laughs) There's a man with his son, and the son is hurt and calls for his robot, and the dad is like, I'll take care of my son. I can't die because i got to take care of this, my son, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and in, and in true fashion of 2000 AD, uh, this guy, you can just kind of tell, is a total sleaze to his son. Mm-hmm. And, but the, and, and the son keeps calling for his robot, Harold. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roja, uh, Hammerstein and Rojas go to the luggage compartment of the train where they find the various robot servants of all the passengers on the train playing cards. Which was a really great scene, by the way. Yeah, they're just sort of like, ah, oh, everyone's going to die, whatever. Uh, everyone's playing card except for Harold, who wears clothes, which is odd for a, a robot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rojas and Hammerstein return with Harold, and the passengers say that they can't decide who should die, and they ask the robots to decide using their hard robot logic. And... Yeah. They're uncomfortable. <laughs> Yo, they're uncomfortable with Hammerstein uh, deciding because he's a war robot. So they ask Rojas, and this is a terrible idea. Big time. <laughs> Rojas instantly goes mad with power. Trial by <laughs> robot. <laughs> so in the next prog, we cut to Rojas, who has found a wig somewhere, just like a regular hair wig, but he's wearing it the way the judges wear wigs in England, I suppose. And yeah. <laughs> he's just straight up interrogating people. He's finding out how everybody's lying about their statuses and the robots are ratting their masters out. <laughs> in, in the end, though, we learn that Harold, is, Harold the robot is wearing proper clothes to cover physical abuse by the father of the kid we met last Prague. The kid is outraged by this fact. And, yeah. and he argues that his father should be the one to die for mistreating Harold. The father re, uh, retaliates and attacks the kid, which causes Harold to ca- re, re- retaliate to protect the kid, and he kills the father, choking him to death. Yeah, which generally, like, we don't see robots killing people. Like, we just see them that, getting beaten to death or dismantled. I mean, that's not... I mean, we had a whole robot war where <laughs> robots killed tons of people. And then when Judge Dredd was on the Cursed Earth, he had a bunch of war robots that he took with him. You know? Oh, that's true. Robots took... This is... N- there are apparently laws of robotics in um, Robusters, but they are not Asimov's rules, rules of robotics. You mm. know? 
I mean, Hammerstein's literally a war droid. Let's put that out there. <laughs> With a hammer to smash people's faces. He'll, uh, these robots will kill people. There's reasons to do it. <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> the op- as long as it's arguable. Yeah. The oxygen crisis, however, has been averted because now there's one dead guy. <laughs> and uh that nobody cares about yeah so the air tanks are passed around and eventually everyone is rescued the kid and harold walking off into the sunset that's pretty adorable the final prog the the, the final uh, st- uh prog for robusters in between like disasters hammerstein wakes up from a nightmare and starts telling everybody about his war stories as he checks out his old soldier head um, I've mentioned in previous podcasts that Hammerstein robots were fought in to, to fight in the war against the Volgans, mm-hmm. the commie Nazis that we talked about previously in Invasion, um, that had, uh, you know, invaded England starting in 1999. It's not clear how long the war has been raging, but the need for robot soldiers was real. Um, the first... Uh, the first Hammerstein robot is our buddy Hammerstein from Robusters. Mm. He's the first Mark III robots. Oh, uh, why is there why is there a Mark III? What's wrong with the Mark Ones and Twos? Oh, they were all disasters. Uh, the Mark Ones just killed everything. Period, and then, <laughs> or just wouldn't stop shooting at everything. And then the Mark Twos shot things that had body heat, so killed a bunch of guys in friendly fire. Just they've been disasters. But yep. Hammerstein's been given advanced robot AI and stuff, and to prove his worth, he's been placed in a normal infantry infantry squad. Where uh, robo racism is real. Yeah, he's a the sergeant of the squad is an anti robot racist or maybe a, a robophobe. I don't know. Um, <laughs> robophobe is really great. But he hates robots and he has Hammerstein sort of run beside their carrier truck as, as they sort of go to the front. But because of he's h- hanging back, this prevents Hammerstein from being killed when a Volgan attack chopper attacks. Oh my god, it's, uh, they're called uh, killcopters. Yeah. Uh, Hammerstein takes it out, but he's the, the only survivor from the platoon is the sergeant, who is now blind and delirious. Uh, he seems to think Hammerstein is human. And after that, we get some. And then after some banter, they come under fire, and it's Volgon killing time. Will they survive? We'll see next time. By the way, oh, and it's called Baptism of Fire is the next wrong name. Yeah. But uh, what I really liked out of this, just real quick shout out, is that when he's thinking to himself, instead of like the circular bubbles that go to a thought cloud mm-hmm. it, because robots speak and talk in these weird um square weird bubbles yeah yeah the the idea bubbles are also square <laughs> nice yeah the sergeant hammerstein going full uh roadblock and cobra commander mode one blind oh, guy yeah. one guy is just be carried etc dude it's great they uh i i like he gives him like a little direction he's like yeah shoot a little over to the left and the sergeant's like i'm gonna kill all the volks <laughs> it's so, just invasion all over again love it yeah man so how are you feeling about um robusters this is the first time you've uh, read their stuff it's awesome like uh, we had we had um uh uh god why am i forgetting his name the mouthy one uh rojaws Rojas and and Hammerstein um, were in sort of a, a miniature crossover when Star Lord was first picking up. Mm-hmm. Um, they they were like, "Hey, you should come check out this comic book." Also, look at us sass for a two page spread and stuff yep. like that. <laughs> um, but like almost out the gate, and this is what I love about robots in the 2000 AD world: they're given 
very real emotions. They're put in a position where they they have these like much higher moral characters. I mean, obviously not some of them, but um, you sympathize with them more than anything else, which happens a lot in this comic. The entire time, it's it's on the nose. It's funny. It's enjoyable. But there's a lot of serious beats like already, and it it feels good. You know? Yeah, I think the serious beats are really countermanded by all the humor stuff of just sort of like, you know, Hammerstein's telling this serious war story and then um, mech quakes in the back like, yeah, what about the blood? Tell us about the blood. <laughs> yeah, like oh that. man, I want things to explode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, Robusters is real fun. Um, they're going to be with us for a while, eventually morphing into ABC Warriors and stuff. It's going to be a good time. ABC Warriors? You'll see. <laughs> oh, but, but hey, speaking of uh, Rojas and Hammerstein, um, non thrills, nerve center contests, and Rojas and Hammerstein. Ooh. So the nerve center is where Tharg tells us what's coming up and sometimes answers letters. If mm. you get a letter printed in 2000 AD, you'll get two pounds. And if you have a really kick ass letter, you get 10 pounds. Dude, there's one that I really felt like deserved it, was the Galactic <laughs> News. Yeah, man. Okay, so uh, in Prague 86, it's mostly just Tharg explaining the, the, the 2080 Star-Lord merger and telling us about upcoming stuff like color pinups and sweet vehicle diagrams. Then at the end of the Prague, there's another letters there's a, another letters page that's called Rojaws and Hammerstein's Laugh-In, which is a combination i feel like of a uh, of the fact that of uh, rogers and hammerstein the uh, musical writers and mm-hmm. then the, the tv show uh, rowan and martin's laugh in oh i don't know what that is yeah look it up and sock it to me <laughs> but uh <laughs> wow. the, the robots answer a bunch of robot related questions also there's a contest in this issue it's all over three or this prog there's it's all over all three of these progs so i'll talk about it at the end of this section Mm-hmm. In Prague 87, a, a layout requests, a, or in Prague 87, a letter requests a layout of the ship from Robusters, which we'll see, actually, probably we'll see the entire layout of the ship before the Praying Mantis actually appears in the Prague, which is kind of ridiculous. <laughs> Another demands more Robo Hunter and Dan Dare stories. Tharg yeah. says he does not respond well to demands. <laughs> But I'll tell you that both of those stories will be back in Prague 100. Nice. And then a third kid does some native advertising for a Dan Dare novel. (laughs) And then a fourth wins 10 pounds for for designing a futuristic newspaper showing the remains of the latest or showing the uh, reporting on the remains of the latest shuttle space shuttle crash in the future. It's very depressing. The galactic news. Uh, which 115 people dead and you know a super awesome shuttle crash yeah it's not too bad yeah like there's a lot of people who die in judge shred there's like oh yeah we lost like a hundred thousand people today and i'm just like Whoa, so many so you know it's, it's what happens when you have a city that uh stretches from michigan to maine to florida you know <laughs> yeah um in Prague 88, a fan has made a model of the ship from Dan Dare, which is pretty cool, and another mm-hmm. has made an extremely generic Lego spaceship, which doesn't deserve to be in 2000 AD, if you ask me. It's just some Legos, buddy. Um, Fucking thank you. And on top of that, they, they don't just give him two pounds. They're also giving him uh, the equivalent of that in groats. Exactly. <laughs> Anyhow, um, price. garbage. 
Yeah, you know, it's it's real bad, man. Um, also, there's more robot letters and a sweet Johnny Alpha poem. When Alpha's eyes glow, all criminals know that soon they will be dead. They reach for their blaster, but Johnny Alpha is faster, the bounty hunter they dread. Jeez. Excellent work, Sean Walsh from Newcastle, Tyne and Ware. <laughs> okay, so there's this contest, Fox. Mm. It's to win either a sweet micro television, which is four inches by six inches by one point five inches. What real... high definition too? It no, it's black and white. <laughs> if you have a smartphone, you've got something way better than this thing. <laughs> or you get some cool character badges, which I think would be pretty sweet even today. Mm-hmm. But the thing of the uh, the thing of the contest is you have to cast nine 2000 AD and Star-Lord characters from a bank of popular 1978's um, English celebrities. Which apparently John Travolta? Yeah, this is just as John Travolta was getting famous. Like in a, This might just be Welcome Back. Oh, no, 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 no. Um, this is like Grease Tra- Travolta. Mm-hmm. I know because in a later episode, uh, Rojas and Hammerstein are going to do a version of Grease. Um, oh, God. You'll see. But uh, the characters are uh, Johnny Alpha and Wolf from Strontium Dog, Judge Dredd, Claw Carver from Flesh, Rojas, Hammerstein, Howard Quartz, Mechquake, and Dan Dare. I like how one kid came up with this idea for an Inferno, uh, yeah, and they just like yeah. running with it. It's a lot of the same. Um, in an earlier episode, yes, yeah, some kid wrote in with a casting for uh, the... Uh, Inferno Thrill, it was terrible casting and we talked about it on that episode Yep, <laughs> they basically recovered that with a bunch of the same characters actually oh yeah, but- Thark Note C episode 14 or whatever <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, celebrities are Roger Moore, uh, who's James Bond of course, Lee Marvin, who's sort of a tough, you know, whatever from Paint Your Wagon of course, and then you know uh, mm. Oliver Reed, who's a British tough guy, who I think I know best as being the old guy who's Russell Crowe's, like, teacher, gladiator teacher in um, the movie Gladiator. Yeah. Uh, Dennis Waterman, who is a guy from The Sweeney, a, a popular British police procedural. John Travolta. Arthur Mullard, who is a cockney British comedian guy. Uh, Gareth Hunt, who's from Upstairs, Downstairs, and The New Avengers. <laughs> Uh, Nicholas Parsons, who's a game show host, and then Charles Bronson. Oh, yeah. Dang, man. I did a casting, but it's real boring, so let's just move on. (laughs) I just don't know people from 1970. No, man. It's weird. Yeah. It's weird talking about. It kind of gets you hungry, and that's why we go to Thrill 3 Flesh. Oh, man. Uh, This is so wonderful to return (laughs) home again. So Flesh is a returning thrill from Prague 1, starting in Prague 1 in 2000 AD. It's been too and, long, goddammit. Yeah, as we said earlier, in the 23rd century, there's no source of meat. So the Trans Time Corporations sends guys back in time to harvest dinosaurs for their delicious flesh. <laughs> We've seen one flesh operation in the Cretaceous period, which is like, you know, 50, 50 million years ago or so. And we that fell to the ravening jaws of an army of T-Rexes and other sort of angry dinosaurs. Now we're even further back in time, 20 million years ago in the Triassic period, where the massive seas that surround Pangaea are full of aquatic life waiting to be harvested. God, and uh, by the way, 
um, just because I want to make a shout out to the person who does the art, Bello Dinelli, who was yeah, responsible Massimo for the Bello original. Bello yeah, man. Yeah, these it, he gets very detailed. He's it, like I would say very, especially with this, political in some of his um, sort of building of things. So like the Derek that they transport all of these aquatic animals to is just spewing. Uh, garbage into the air and into the ocean um, just as a processing facility. It's really weird. <laughs> yeah, so, like Fox said, every all the uh, all the pro, er, the script the, the art robot for all of these is uh, Massimo Be- Bellardinelli and the script robot is Jeffrey Miller for all of the all of Flesh this month. And they're killing it, man. It's great. Yeah, so Prog 86 starts with basically a day in the life, the Flesh base. Uh, hunter killer subs supported by cybernetic murder dolphin catch <laughs> catch fish in big nets and kill predators then they bring these massive nets full of fish back to the main station where they're picked up and sort of sorted and a bunch and uh if there's any predators that are, that, that are caught in the net they get dealt with and then the whole big this big basically it ends up being a big netted cube of fish that gets zapped back to the future yeah, it's like crazy. They stab a bunch of fish, then turn on a, a dicing machine that turns it then into the food. In this case, it's going to be uh, fish fingers, which I'm guessing are just um, <laughs> That's fish fried sticks. fish sticks. Yeah. yeah. And then they're then they're magically packaged into boxes and sent back in time yeah. or forward in time. Yeah. At this point, uh, the boys are slacking in their work, and mm-hmm. a long-necked and deadly Tanny Strophius eats one of the guys. Not great to have one of these dudes coming up and just eating your dudes. The thing that's great about Flesh and Bellardinelli is really fantastic about it is sort of these Mm. crazy drawings of these dinosaurs. It's really like, it feels like he he must really love dinosaurs just because, or like drawing them because he really takes a lot of attention and does a lot of crazy stuff with them. Oh yeah, like from the detail to their scales to like weird lumps they might have, um, especially with this one, like it's... He really likes drawing saliva shooting out of their yeah. mouth. Like, it's <laughs> really nuts. Yeah. So the Tanny Strophius uh, eats one of the men. The bad news is brought to station boss J.M. Gross, who is livid. Oh, his head's uh, cut off, by the way, by a giant axe. Oh, yeah. You know, that's I thought that was assumed. <laughs> <laughs> so Gross is trying to make sure his base, Atlanta Station, doesn't suffer the same base, the same fate as the base from the original Flesh. And mm-hmm. speaking of which, this first prog ends with a mysterious time capsule appearing in the skies above, near the base. What could it be? In the next prog, the capsule opens, and it's Claw Carver! Claw oh, Carver. Snap. Yeah, he was the bad guy in Fleshbook 1. And he's escaped, and he managed to escape the overrun base in that story with the gold reserves from that base that he's stolen. Um, yeah, at the time... Just as a reminder to people, he... He was the like basically the sole survivor, other than the one hero who, when Earl Reagan, hero, yeah, Earl Reagan, who when he went back to the future, um, basically to like escape, he was uh, slammed with everything. Like he was oh, blamed. No, yeah, he, he he was blamed for the disaster at the base and jailed. It's pretty awesome. Even though he was like fighting to protect people the whole time, the one man who gets away is Clockar. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, Claw, 
Claw Carver didn't. Um, he didn't seem to get away. It seemed like he got lost in the oh, right. like time warp, possibly forever. <laughs> but not sure. in this case. He's managed to escape, and he and instead of just being lost, he just went back 150 years, uh, 150 million years in the past. Yeah, just chump change. Yeah. So climbing out of the capsule, he stashes his gold on an island. While there, he finds a cute little brood of Nothosaurs, which mm. he promptly murders. And yep, little babies. Just then gets and, and then he gets picked up by a trans time rescue ship. They head back to base when on the, along the way they're attacked by the mightiest monster of the ancient sea, a humongous <gasps> Nothosaur named Big Hungry. More like Big Gipper, right? Something. Uh, they survive and head back home. At the base, Carver get, gives a version of his story. And, you know, sort of leaving out the part where he betrayed a whole bunch of dudes <laughs> all over the previous Trams time base and stuff. And that he stole all the gold. <laughs> yeah, the sub-commander's not really buying it. He's just like, mm. Yeah, he, act, he asks for a ride back to the future, but no dice. He'll have to work a six-month shift at the base if he wants to go home. Meanwhile, Big Hungry returns to his lair and finds that all of his children have been killed by a human. Now it's time for revenge. And yeah. just uh, the one thing I learned from Shacko is that my favorite thing in the world is non-humans out for revenge. Oh, yeah. And uh, let me tell you, there's a lot of murder in this here comic book. Yeah, man. So the final prog for Flesh uh, at the Trans Time Mess Hall... Carver starts a fight, basically just because he's a huge asshole. And then he gets his assignment sorting fish and stuff. He decides he's got to make a good impression to try to get out of this place because the sorting fish seems like the worst job available here. So He does a really bad job of impressing anybody other than one guy, I guess. Well, he impresses the most important guy by yeah. quickly jumping and killing a, a loose, murderous shark. <laughs> This gets the uh, head of the base, Gross's attention, and he's assigned to the ship of Captain Svensson, ironically the dude he just picked a fight with in the men's hall. Meanwhile, we just cut back one last time to Big Hungry, who is out and about, again, looking for revenge. That's how we end Flesh for this month. It's really great. Uh, Setting the stage, man, and I'm glad to be back. Feels like home. Yeah, man. Well-drawn dinosaurs greed it's got all the parts of flesh that you're interested in oh my god and i just i i forgot how amazing when you let massimo bellardinelli off leash in his comfort (laughs) zone to make this stuff because not only are you getting these massive pollution bases not only are you getting these massive intricately detailed um like uh uh, ships and like underwater submersibles and things mm-hmm. but then even more on top of that this is now pirates slash sailors slash whalers mm-hmm. versus dinosaurs yeah man <laughs> it's what you want oh it's mm-hmm. so great and just like right out the gate a giant monster snatches up a dude and eats him and then gets its head cleaved off with an axe it's yes, indeed. exactly what i want <laughs> Yeah, man, flesh. This flesh story is going to be real good. I, I can feel it. <laughs> but hey, uh, speaking of uh, time travel, Fox. <gasps> Thrill for future shocks. Oh, my God. I forgot that these existed in this one. Uh, there's only one, you know. Um, yeah. So future shocks are self-contained sci-fi stories, often with like a punchline or a moral at the end. 
They usually can be between like maybe like one and a third pages to five or six pages long. And they're often where new writers get a chance to cut their teeth before writing like a full series. They mm. don't appear in every prog. Like in this case, there's only one in Prog 88. <clears throat> in this case, The Future Shock's written by Mike Cruden and with art by our buddy Massimo Bellardinelli. Doing his, uh, doing his friggin' yeoman's work. Mm-hmm. So it's time to test a time machine, Fox. Here we go again, because we oh, haven't seen these like a thousand times. A lot of time travel this week. Um, <laughs> so only two dudes are smart and tough enough for the honor of testing the time machine. One dude named Shelvin and one dude named Farron. Farron gets the job, but Shelvin wants it so bad. He poisons Farron while they're watching a game of Inferno. Uh, see previous episodes for details about Inferno. Uh, mm-hmm. Shelvin goes to test the machine. He's going to go 60 years in the future. When he returns, everyone crowds around, but oh no! He aged 60 years when he traveled, and now he's just a smoldering old skeleton. Dang. Baby <laughs> bear. Yeah, that's basically... Sometimes we deploy air horns when the uh, moral or the twist is, is pretty good. I don't like the twist in this one just because... No, it's he, horrible. He just kind of dies and whatever. I would have liked it if there had been some sort of thing relating to the fact that he screwed over um, Farron, you know? Yeah. Well, we've seen one of these exact things before. It's like the outside world goes, uh, goes back in time and not just you... There's one where, uh, like, a guy dies inside of it, like, for yeah. a different reason. It's just, like, everybody writes time machine stuff. Yeah, for this one, it's just, yeah, he travels 60 years in the future, which means that he ages 60 years, so he sort of just becomes a skeleton. I would have liked it if there had been something where it's, like, because if the, if the end had been, you know, because he messed with who was supposed to go, he had some incident or something like that. Oh, my makes, God. Yeah. It just makes the first half of the story not relate to the um to the end of it you know what i mean right it's just it's back to predictable twists again well i mean i don't even know if it's predictable just because it doesn't have to do with anything like this could have just (laughs) been all of this pre-date stuff doesn't have anything to do with the twist of the ending the twist of the ending is oh he traveled forward in time and he aged as well as he did that it has nothing to do with the extensive um, tests you had to go to to be qualified to time travel or anything like that. Yeah, it was. It was. Garbage. It's just whatever. It's a lot of setup that doesn't use that setup in the end. So poor, poor future shock this month. Mm-hmm. But hopefully we should get some better ones soon. Yay. You know, it's always it's always transitory with future shocks. They always have different <laughs> teams and stuff. So we've had some good ones recently. I think we'll have some good ones in the future. This is just a weak entry. But yeah. once again, speaking of time travel. <laughs> <laughs> Thrill 5, Strontium Dog. So awesome! So Strontium Dog's another survivor from Star-Lord. It's the story of Johnny Alpha, a mutant with X-ray vision eyes, and his buddies Wolf, who's a bearded Scandinavian Viking type, and the Gronk, a multi-armed, furry, cowardly, Muppet-type alien guy who is their medic. Besides cool guns and electric brass knuckles, a main weapon of Johnny's arsenal is a bunch of time-related stuff. And for Wolf, it is a giant hammer, which Indeed. he smacks people with. Mm. I'll mention also that sort of this takes place. So this the story takes place in 2080. We learned that in tw- or in 2180. We learned that in 2150 there was a big massive war, which led a made just a a big part of the Earth's population mutated in various ways. Like, mm-hmm. Johnny's got a really low-key um, 
mutation because his eyes look weird, but he can also like see through walls and stuff. Um, other people have a bunch of other of much more unusual mutations, often just in how they look that, that don't give them weird powers. Uh, yeah. My favorite, you know, there's one guy who's just a torso. There's a, a guy who's guy who's uh has no head and his face is on his knee. Uh, it's really bizarre stuff. There's guys, a guy with uh two faces that are the same face looking in opposite directions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff. So, but all of these mutants, no one wants to hire them. They're sort of forced to live in basically ghettos and stuff around the world. And uh, the only job they can get is jobs no one they want, nobody else wants, like the hyper-dangerous job of being a bounty hunter, a.k.a. Strontium Dog. They're called Strontium <laughs> Dogs because Strontium-90 is the element in the nuclear weapons that um, cause them to mutate and stuff. Dude. Final it, uh... point. Th- oh, yeah, uh, just one more thing, Fox. Just that the, uh, the war in 2050 is going to take place in about 10 years or so in the real time that uh, Judge Dredd uh, 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 goes through. So, you know, keep that in mind for when we actually, you know, when we're finishing up this podcast and it's 10 years from now, you know. (laughs) Jeez. I I just wanted to say, like, I really love the character designs, even the weird, you know, freak out alien. Um, They look really good. I I love the way that uh, Johnny Alpha looks. Wolf is, like, really barbarian-esque. It's great. All of, so, all... All of uh, Strontium Dog is written by T.B. Grover this month, and all the art is by Carlos Escara, who is my favorite 2080 artist. He's really? so good. Um, and he draws in a re- this really distinctive style that's really like, I don't know, it's kind of intentionally like rough or like has like some texture to it and stuff. Mm. Um, that's the best way I can describe it. It's really distinctive, and it's really awesome, and I just love everything he does. And he he's draws gonna- excellent hair. And he's still drawing to this day, making new like storylines and stuff. He's a life, you know, 2080 lifer. Um, Jeez, that's awesome. Really, really just super duper. Um, I love Carlos Escara. I got a copy of Star-Lord number one that he signed. Like, <gasps> What? It's a big, I'm a big fan. Awesome. <laughs> but let's get to the stories, all right? The year is 2180. We start the progs with a quick recap of the setup, and then we jump right into action as Johnny and Wolf take down a perp named Ratface Reagan. <laughs> we get a chance to uh, see Johnny's various powers, his ability to see through walls with his mutant eyes, and then we see one of his time grenades, which, which basically, is so cool. Yeah, man. When a time grenade goes off, basically, you know, there's like a, a blast of the grenade, and everything in the blast gets warped. A couple out, you know, a certain amount of time in the future or past, which means that's what he's got. These got so like um, Reagan's goons basically are sort of guarding a door and preventing Johnny and Wolf from getting to Reagan. Uh, Johnny throws the time grenade and he warps these guys and warps the goons and sort of the surrounding area around them two hours into the future. Mm-hmm. But so. They go to our. They travel two hours into the future in time, but they don't travel in space, which means yeah. that they reappear two hours in the future where they were standing in an absolute sense, which means that the planet that they're on has actually moved past where they were. So they, <laughs> just they are remat- definitely in a vacuum. They just rematerialize in the harsh vacuum of space because that's where they were when the time thing went off. It's so cool. 
it's it's the coolest idea of a weapon that I have seen in a long time. Because so much of time travel really doesn't take into account the fact that like, or doesn't even think about um, traveling through space also. So many time travel, you know, your average time travel thing will take you, if you want to go to ancient Rome, it'll take you to Italy when you travel back in time to it. It won't be like if I did a time machine in my house and I go back to ancient Rome times and suddenly I'm just in California in zero, in, in, zero, in a 1 AD. You know what I mean? Yeah, I exactly. Find a way to you gotta get calculate to the space in. But even that's BS. <laughs> <laughs> because the Earth isn't in the same spot now as it is two thousand years ago, right? No, the arm's moving. Yeah, like, like we're moving in the giant spiral and falling through space or whatever. Who knows? You know? Yeah. But, but you, you know, you got to be careful with this time travel stuff. It's complicated, and just taking that into account, and just having a weapon that just warps people into space, basically because it's time traveling, is real neat. <laughs> it's really different, really great. Um, and how do you celebrate afterwards then? Your big giant friend eating some meat. <laughs> yeah, so they While get you the, drink your coffee. So they get Reagan. They go on a space liner to head home to collect the bounty and stuff. But as they do, they're attacked by a giant two-mile-long spaceship. It's a wool like whoa. Oh, it's covered in guns. It's a Woolrog warship. They've all been caught by the Galaxy Killers. Which, uh, whoa! Like, have they killed entire galaxies? Could be. We yeah, learned that'd that be the intense. totally. We learned the Woolrogs are a race of warlike bulldog-faced aliens. <laughs> they're basically just they're basically just Shanghaiing people. They they capture people on ships and force them to either work in their slave factories or as part of the, their penal their penal battalion battalions. Which is like real great for making you look bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wolf refuses to join, but Johnny talks him into it. And they get Gronk assigned to the battalions as well. Uh, Johnny reckons that the battalions are the best place for them to escape. Mm -hmm. They learn that the Woolrogs are fighting the Sandorian nations for control of the galaxy. And they need fresh troops. We end with a shot of the massive Woolrog fleet. A thousand huge warships. Thousands of support crafts. And the uh -huh. man-made planet Rog. In the middle of the whole thing, that's full of slave factories making all the weapons and ships that fuel the the empire. It's nuts, man! Like everybody's talking about how this ship and the size of it is the most intense part, and then you just look out the window and there's a billion of them. And it's yeah, like, they're... oh, so it's a lot of these guys. Yeah, man, it's tough. These guys are real and in charge. <laughs> mm -hmm. We end stuff in the final pro in, in the final um, thrill of this of this episode. The uh, the guys have been sent to Warrog basic training under the evil Sergeant Kark. Kark is Ooh, a huge. Uh, I don't know if you <laughs> noticed this, but they really like to uh, accentuate anatomy on this dude. <laughs> uh, Kark is a huge jerk and doesn't mind killing his own guys in the training process. Nope. His his opening move is just to have half the new recruits fight the other half to the death to weed out weaklings. Oh, yeah. Wolf and Johnny are, of course, paired up to fight to the death, and Johnny goads Wolf into fighting him, which he does. The two fight like crazy, ending with Johnny down and at Wolf's mercy. Will friend kill friend? We'll find out next time on Space Spinner 2000. Dude, holy crap is Strontium Dog the best <laughs> and they didn't even do like an intro thing you know because this comic's been going on 
they just kind of said like you know hey there's mutants some of them work as bounty hunters here's a guy going for bounties you know yeah it's really i i mean i i know that you mentioned that uh, there i and i agree there are some problems with that right like well i mean let's talk let's talk about this the at at at, at, um oh no okay yeah so yeah this is the problem i had with both strontium dog and robusters i guess which is that um these stories sort of take away are are about care both robusters and strontium dog are about the characters sort of losing some of their key powers for story purposes Mm -hmm. you know like as soon as strontium as soon as johnny and wolf are captured they put all their cool uh sci-fi weapons in a trash can and then sort of time bomb it 12 hours into the future so that it falls into the sun basically um yeah which it makes sense and stuff but it means that there's this new thrill i'm not familiar with these characters and they've suddenly lost all their cool new stuff so it's gonna mean that i have to wait at least until the end of this story to see the full you know arsenal of johnny alpha and wolf and stuff which is a bummer yeah, man. you know like oh, like yeah oh please go ahead oh i, I just want to say out the gate i want to see their cool stuff and it's kind of similar with um robusters where you know they do the ori- they, they do the mission with the train but then it's um it's straight to flashbacks like there's going to be flashbacks for Ro- for Hammerstein and then Rojas for like the next four or five issues basically yeah. so it means that we aren't seeing a lot of the actual robuster story you know we don't see a lot of like the other character of the non-flashback characters like Mechquake or um Howard Quartz or this ship the Praying Mantis like like I said in the nerve center we're gonna see sort of these diagrams and layouts of what's going on in the praying mantis long before we actually see the praying mantis in action that's the robuster ship in action yeah. in the actual 2080 progs which is not a good choice for me i guess well and star lord basically closed its doors right like that's the whole point of them moving these comics over yeah they they discontinued the comic the the whole thing seems to me like okay we've got this like pretty successful sci-fi comic let's open up a second one because hey if people want more we'll just double our our revenue by saying here's some more comic and clearly that didn't work out and i'd feel like like if you're already closing the doors on this one comic but you're trying to keep um the comics that you have the popular ones from it right alive but giving them to a new audience it's it's kind of like all right well, I think sort of the, the counterpoint to what I'm saying, I guess, is that I feel like while this doesn't work well for us in 2017, you know, um, mm. I feel like it might have worked back in 78, just because it seems yeah. like people know who these characters are already. I feel like if you, you know, often if you're reading 2000 AD, you could probably get a Star-Lord pretty easily and stuff, or have friends that have it and stuff. I just think that just because we've well, seen... Well, that's pretty fair. In the pages of 2000 AD before this, we've seen Hammerstein and Rojas and Mechquake show up and do stuff, and mm. it, they haven't done a ton of explanation for them, which makes me feel like that you're supposed to just know who these characters are already, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah. And, I mean, so, they've mentioned them in the letter pages and stuff like that. Like, yeah. hey... You and know, that's what I mean. Awesome. Yeah, where it's like they sort of say like, "Hey, like here's Rojas from Star Lord," and they don't say like, "Here, you know, he's a new hip, hip new character or something." You're just supposed to know who he is. Like mm-hmm. if Spider Man shows up in like in, in my Doctor Strange comics, right? When when <laughs> Spider Man shows up in Doctor Strange, they don't go, do a big thing to explain who Spider Man is. Whereas when Doctor Strange shows up in Spider-Man comics, they might actually do a little bit of backstory about what's going on with this Doctor Strange character. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So that's just, I don't know, that was sort of a little pre-final judgment analysis of some of these um, 
new new thrills. I like them a lot, man. I love Strong yeah. Tooth Dog. Robusters is real good, but I just I don't want to just make it seem like they're perfect. Like there's some problems sort of out of the gate, especially for the modern reader for some of these stories. But oh, absolutely. With, with that said, Fox. With that said, what are your top and bottom thrills for this month? And I'm guessing we can't do uh, uh, future shocks. No, I mean, man, I would rather not. I would rather you make a real of choice. Course. <laughs> of course, of course, it's. Um, oh, dude. Okay, this is a bit difficult. Um, my God. Uh, all right, gut check time. I mean, almost immediately, I always want to go with flesh i'm not but um do, oh the one you know, thing do what you that, want man well the one thing that i that i generally try to do when there's a new series starting up and, and in this case we have three um is that you know it needs breathing room because i i don't want to make mach one mistakes again see uh <laughs> probably like, episodes episodes like, like 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 one through four maybe for our problems with yeah. the early mach one yeah, and like you want to, you want to give it room to breathe and and see if it's gonna get extra weird. Um, the big thing for me, I'm I'm gonna go with dread uh, this this week um, specifically because like this man gets no rest. Like it is just from one really terrible experience to the next really horrible experience, and uh, the whole time I'm I'm actually like getting amped up. You know, Judge Dredd is actually hitting its full stride, and I'm really enjoying that. Um, something tells me that I will love Robusters, that I will love Flesh 2, that I will love Strontium Dog. But, um, you know, better to, to give these things some room to, to prove that to me, you know? For sure. So what's your bottom thrill this month, Fox? <sighs> um... Okay, this is going to have to get super caveated because uh, you should read. <laughs> you you need to read this month's of this month of Prague's uh, hands down. So when I say Robusters, it is not because it is in any way negative. I just happen to think that. Oh, uh, sorry. What am I talking about? For bottom. Oh no no no. no. It's, no, it is that one. So it it's they just don't um, they don't really explain explain enough to make me care about them like there's some backstory and history with these two that they're like oh remember this one time you did this thing and i'm like no i i don't yeah that's um, i mean also that's a, yeah. that we're jumping right into a flashback episode it's like uh, whatever yeah no that makes sense to me too so uh, my top thrill is strong is strong team dog love strong team dog been waiting for <laughs> it for like months now um uh, <laughs> it's one of my it's 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 like strong team dog and especially johnny alpha um in strong team dog and especially drawn by by carlos escara is really really just one of the things that i love about 2000 ad um and that it has shown up is really nice the opening mission is super cool and um yeah. this wolrog this wolrog plot is really fun um and it just gets right into action, does all this stuff. Everybody's really awesome. I don't know. I can't speak. I can't be too positive about it. It's so good. Mm. Um, bottom thrill. I'm going to say Robusters 2, um, which is not yeah. to say that it's bad. It's real good. Um, like, <laughs> I love time. I love these guys and stuff. But, I mean, like like I mean, like I've said previously, and, 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 and like you said, too, like, just... Um, Going straight to the Hammerstein, um, 
flashback and stuff. It would make sense if this was like epi- like Prog 2026 20, of Star Lord, where I've, if I've been reading Star Lord for the last twenty you know twenty six weeks, I've no I know these characters and stuff, mm-hmm. and so eventually I'm like, oh well, you know, like Hammerstein especially makes references to what he used to do and like his old life as a war robot. I'd like to hear more about that. But yeah. as, a new, as a new character, I'm more interested in seeing what they're doing now than cutting back to what they used to do when they were young droids, basically. Right. Like, we, uh, they're supposed to be sent to these really dangerous locations, but we only have one story of that. Yeah. It's, it's not that the flashback stuff is interesting. It super is. And I'm super, mm-hmm. I'm super stoked to go back to Volgans and yeah. see how this war turns out and stuff like that. <laughs> But um, yeah, of course. But just in terms of telling a story, and especially creating these characters, as we're just reading these progs in the year, tw- you know, in the future here, um, it's not a strong start for these guys. Just in terms of making me get to know what this thrill is all about and stuff like that. So for that, yeah. it's got to be bottom thrill. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah. Good, picks. awesome. Yeah, good times. So uh, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. You can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, or on our podcast site at cradoline.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com or on our fa- on our uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're Space Spinner 2K. Everywhere else, just look for Space Spinner 2000, and we should be there. Uh, tune in next time it's november and december 1978 the last uh progs of the year oh no yeah judge judge cal tightens his grip we learn more about hammerstein and roja's past um the wool rog war machine rolls on and man like i think at least like seven or eight people get eaten by dinosaurs and flesh guys <laughs> It's, it's really super. Uh, this is the this flesh, um, the, the uh, classic flesh cover of "Just Let Me Drown Before the Giant Scorpions Eat Me" happens this happens next month. <laughs> it's oh. the greatest thing of all time. <laughs> oh, that's really wonderful. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Conrad. He's Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Splendid Doug Berthrig. Doug Berthrig. <laughs>